This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu and Silver Lake, Aloe was created by our friend, the great Bob Forrest, his friend, Evan Haynes, their friend, Bob, and their other friend, Jared. It was created as a place where addicts could go to be treated with compassion rather than control. Bob and Evan and the boys had been to a number of programs, and they felt the places didn't treat them the way they'd like to be treated, so they invented Aloe. Aloe offers a super comfortable detox, so if you're kicking heroin or benzos or alcohol, you will be safe and comfortable. They have years and years and years of experience treating addicts and alcoholics, and they specialize in co-occurring mental disorders as well. They have amenities out the ass, including surfing, equine therapy, sound bath meditations, and of course, Sweat Lodges. I've been to Sweat Lodges. Very spiritual. If you're fucked and you need a place to go and you're willing to go to California to get well, then I would recommend Aloe. All right, you dopes out there who are looking for love in all the wrong places, why not go to the right place, which is Clean and Sober Love, also known as CASL. It is the dating app for people who choose this way of life. It was created by one addict helping another addict date safely. So here's the fucking reality. You got clean, you got sober, you got a new life, and now you're ready to date. So where are you supposed to look? The methadone clinic? CASL is the solution. Dating and recovery is real and worth considering if your own house is in order. CASL is the platform where you can meet like-minded people all over the world. Install the app now on the App Store or Google Play Store. And by the way, it is completely free. This episode is also brought to you by the power and passion of the Dopey Nation through the Dopey Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. If you love the show and you want to throw a few bucks, it's well appreciated. Also, if you want the finest in dopey wear, t-shirts, long sleeves, hoodies, go to www.dopeypodcast.com. If you want a hat or you want stickers or any of the last few DopeyCon shirts, just Venmo me and I will ship it out. Big shipping going out right now. Enough of the ads. Here is the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And here we are in luxurious and scenic Manhattan at my father's house. And who is here on the show? You guys will know because fucking Ray tipped the hat on Facebook. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Thank you, Dave. It's good to be back. What are you tipping the hat for? I, all I was doing was taking a shower. I didn't say I was coming on the show. It's Halloween, and Ray Ray has a, a roommate, a housemate, staying with him, who I guess he instructed to do a little psycho-esque shower video. Well, that was his idea. I'm like, can you just film me in the shower with my clothes on? And he <laughs> said, what is this for? I said, for a dopey podcast. And then he's like, what if the door is closed and I come through and then you're in the shower and then I'm horrified by what I see and I back out and I close the door. I'm like, well, you're a filmmaker. That's a great idea. He was, and, and also, did he know, did he, doesn't it, first of all, does he know how important and amazing and well-listened-to Dopey is? Well, I've been talking to, about, about Dopey to him all week. So, yeah, he kind of knows what it is. All right. And does he know... That when you're in the shower with all your clothes, you're not just showering with no, all your clothes? He, I forgot to explain that to him. 
You didn't tell him that it was the way that you wash your I, clothes. Now that you mention it, I didn't. That's why he, he, he reacted so strange. You didn't tell him? No. Did he ask? No. <laughs> now, do you think that he would be disgusted with you if he had learned that this is your method of washing your no. clothes? You think no. he would have liked it? If, if he's not disgusted by everything he's seen so far... <laughs> He's heard so much worse things than I wash my clothes in the shower. From now on. Uh, actually, he took a load of laundry. He took my dirty clothes and put them with his dirty clothes and took them to the laundromat and, and dropped them off. Now, let me ask you a question. I need you to answer this honestly. What? Was that the first actual laundered clothes you've had? No, I've had laundered clothes many, many times. Well, when's the last time you got your clothes properly laundered? Yesterday. Besides Bob. Um, I don't know, a couple months ago. You know, I, if, if it's like towels and stuff, I dropped that off. So you're saying you wash your towels at the laundromat. Yeah. You don't wash any clothes but your towels. Right. Is there any article of clothing that you'll wash at the laundromat? Oh, and socks. socks you don't wash the socks no, in the shower. that doesn't work at home. Ray, I think it's... In, I, I'm sorry, Dopey Nation. I know you heard about this when Ray, Ray was on the West Virginia trip. Ray's a good friend. Ray was at DopeyCon. We're going to get to that. I don't think I'll ever let go of this thing. You're let thinking it go, Dave. it's okay to wash your shirt, your jeans, and yes. your underwear while you're wearing them in the shower. That's how people wash their clothes. In the Ganges. All human history. You don't think they wash their socks the same way, though? I guess so. They just don't dry fast enough. The socks. No, they, because they're thick or whatever they're made of. They don't dry. So you go to, what, they're made of cotton. So you go to the laundromat with towels. Towels and socks. And socks. Yeah. And you say, wash these. Yes. And do they say, well, what about the rest of your clothes? They don't ask. No. They ask if I want them se- separation and softener, and I say, no, nothing. And then now, they look at me like I'm an animal. You don't want softener? No. No separation. Cost extra. So the reason that you do this is to save money. Yes. Right? So how much do you spend on, on washing and, and laundering towels and socks? Well, I should have brought you the slip. It was $29. How many towels and socks do you I have? It was a bag of towels and socks. I bet you to do a couple shirts and underwear and pants, it would just be like $4 more. It's an eight-pound minimum. Listen, just start washing your fucking clothes at the laundromat, please. <laughs> okay? It makes me crazy. Sometimes I just throw my clothes away and get new ones. I know, he, he actually greeted me at the door with a bag full of clothes that he threw in the trash, and he said, I said, what are you doing, Ray? And he said, laundry, which <laughs> just is how it is. Anyway, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Nice to be here. I've never been in your dad's apartment. And please give uh, impressions to the Dopey Nation. It's amazing. What else? It's huge. What else? It's, I don't know. If you are a New Yorker, you wouldn't believe this apartment. Why? It's like it's like a, a ranch house. It's like you would you're in a ranch house in suburbia and you're just wandering through room after room. Well, this is why I question your New Yorker dumb because this is the quintessential middle class Jewish New Yorker apartment. I know, I know. Yeah, there's infinite ones like this. Dave like talks about my building is like a, a, a slums and I live in a terrible building, and because Dave grew up in a really nice building, like a normal nice building. Well, this is like the communist um, standard. Yeah. You know, there's an elevator. When I grew up, there was an odd elevator and an even elevator, though. Really? Yeah. Isn't that fucked up? The elevators skipped floors. Nice. Only pretty recently did they start stopping at every floor. Um, but it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm glad you like it. It's, it's middle-class Jewish heaven over here. Yeah. 
And, and when I remember when I had my place on the Lower East Side, That's it was exactly same, the same, same place, thing because yeah. I needed I needed to feel the because they I like I looked at an apartment in Chinatown. It was like a fucking room. I was like, I can't, you know, for two grand or something. I was like, yeah. I can't do it. I can't do it. The studios in my apartment are going for three grand now. But your your apartment is pretty big too. Your apartment is pretty pretty spacious. I have the biggest apartment in my building. Well, there you go. It's a pretty spacious apartment. I don't know why, um, and this is not interesting to the Dopey Nation, but my mic is incredibly loud in my head. Oh. I don't know. I had Ray on for a number of reasons. This is now called the working class Dopey episode of the show because you're a, you're a working person. I think my, my working career might be over. What do you mean? I hurt my knee. You hurt your knee on that trip. Did I? You don't remember in the car and you got out of the car and you could barely walk? I've been having trouble with my knee and then I... Like stage dived at the Rainbow Show on Saturday, I landed on my knee, and I was fucked up. And I thought I, I thought my leg was going to be amputated or something. It was bad. I've kind of recovered now. But Your leg was bad in I West Virginia. Yeah, I don't know if I can continue like climbing up ladders and crawling around on my hands and knees. Do you have enough money to retire? I don't have any money. Well, you're going to have to <laughs> fucking figure it out. I'm looking at like how much is my Social Security coming? You're not there yet. No. Um, and then if anyone's worried, I did pay Ray back for the West Virginia yes, trip. Yes, so yes. if anybody's worried, there might be more coming, though, in the mail for your airfare. It might be very exciting. Yeah. Could be a great windfall. And... Um, we wanted last week we had the great Cat Marnell on the show to a very very mixed review. No comment. Yeah, Ray was one of the people that didn't like Cat Marnell on the well, show. Well, and I felt bad for her because people said such mean things about her on Dopey Nation. You said mean things too, just not on Toby Nation. Yeah. But I thought she was great. I think her book is great. Um I think you know, it could have been a tidier episode, but Cat is not in recovery. And not every episode can be tidy. Just because yeah. Ray is tidy and he washes his clothes in the shower <laughs> doesn't mean every other episode is going to be tidy I like that. To, I had to turn it off. All right, all right. Take it, e- take it easy, Ray. Just take it easy, man. Now we're gonna we're doing the great DopeyCon recap. So impressions, Ray. DopeyCon. Well, my impression. Yes. Is, as just as far as a gig for me, I'll be self. Yeah, Ray was a I'll, performer. I'll Dave asked me to do this a while back, and I said yes. And then as it got closer and Dave couldn't really describe what it was, and I'm like, why the fuck? I totally described what I it was. Know. I was like, why the fuck did I sign up for this? Really? Like, I do that with a lot of gigs, and I find it's like gigs are inversely related to how bad you think it's going to be usually is how good it is. In my well, why did you think it was going to be bad? Um, I just didn't understand what it was. and it, I didn't You had gone to West Virginia where 8,000 people I, I cheered know, for me. I No, I thought... There's going to be no mics. There's going to be no mics. I didn't trust in that the room would be set up and there'd be a stage and mics and a sound system and all that. Um, but And then when I got there, it was very together. When Cormac. I in the door. The great Cormac. Well, not just Cormac, but the, the front desk. I didn't expect there to be like a desk and a sign at it. But then they asked me to wait in the game room. And I'm standing there and... I felt like I couldn't leave the game room. I felt like I was in rehab now, and I couldn't get out. <laughs> you were a surprise like, intervention. Who is, who is here from Mountainside and is like watching me? And I just and I texting Dave like, "Come get me." They they're keeping me in the game room, and Dave didn't respond. They were like they were like, "We heard you took MDMA while you were in Ireland, <laughs> and we have to stay here. We think you need a little treatment." <laughs> but then I noticed somebody just left the room. I'm like, "Fuck this!" And I just walked and I walked upstairs like they didn't stop me. 
And then when I got upstairs, it was amazing just to see the, the setup of the room with the posters and the dopey art. The dopey art was really cool. Amazing, right? Yeah. And and Cormac was was ta- came up and talked to me. I was like, okay, this is all covered. I have to say, you know, I don't think anything that I'm involved with usually is any good. Like, usually I think it's okay. You know, my litmus for anything being good is, like, if it's okay, then it's good. Like, that's my – I don't know if I've ever told you this. As long as what I get involved with isn't bad, it's good. That's okay. that's my whole reference. And DopeyCon, like, I was fucking really nervous um, for DopeyCon. Like, I didn't know what I was going to say. I was nervous, too. I didn't know what I was going to say. Yeah, I didn't. I, I knew what I had planned it to be, but it was very loosely planned. I mean, when I yeah. plan stuff, I plan it very loosely, and uh, and me and Linda had spent the whole day before like getting all the merchandise together, or maybe it was even the day of. We were getting, we were making sticker packs, and I had gotten, I had my dad pick up the DopeyCon T-shirts. I think the day before, and the hoodies arrived at the fucking venue the day of. Oh. Um, so it was like everything was super slap dash. And when we got there, though, a bunch of listeners showed up. And as soon as they showed up, I was, like, super excited. And I was super calm. And I knew that it, it couldn't be that bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah, as soon as I went upstairs, I was like, okay, this is good. Because the vibe was nice, right? Yeah. And then and once it started, like, I could see, like, okay, this is the format. People are going to – Dave is going to speak, and then people are going to speak, and – and the crowd was, like, so into it. It was really cool. Would you say, without conjecture, it was easily the best show you've ever played? It was the best show I've ever played. Really? You would say that? Oh, yeah. Why? <laughs> well, this has never happened to me where I strum... You know how when, like, Dylan strums the first chord of something and the crowd knows it? When I did the first note of Dopey Podcast and the crowd reacted, I've never had that happen, especially with strangers. <laughs> so that's a that was a first. That's cool. That was cool. It was a, you know was a, I wouldn't even call it a gig. It was a short you know. Short you stretched thing. it out though, and you did an amazing. I mean, like I, I just wanted I did, two songs. He snuck in a third song. I did three songs. I did it was seven minutes. I timed it, not rehearsal. I timed it from the podcast. Well, seven minutes is the sweet spot. So that's you good. You told me to do six minutes, and I I you stretched it out. To I timed my songs, and they were. They were exactly six minutes, but I didn't count on the fact that I would talk. I didn't think I would talk. Well, I think it was amazing. I think you did an amazing job. I think DopeyCon itself was amazing, and it makes me want to do another DopeyCon. DopeyCon 2. I don't think I'll call it DopeyCon 2. I think I'll just call it DopeyCon. But what I'm thinking is of doing it in California. Well, somebody asked me. Who was that? Somebody asked if you could do it in California. Like, asked me personally. I forgot who that was. What did you say? I said, yes. You'll go. Yeah. All right. Maybe so it was you. I want to do it. I think we could get maybe Aloe to pay for it in California, put it up. We'll see who they'll fly out. And then all the West Coast dopers can come to uh, DopeyCon in L.A. or something. Yeah, that'd be great. It would be amazing. I would love that so much. Now, there's this interesting thing going on, which is, um, which is I've decided that I need to grow the dopey thing, brand, fucking thing, as big as I can, right? Yeah. That is my intention. And I heard from this woman who had been on the show uh, when Chris was alive. Her name is Stephanie Whittles Wax. 
And she's Harris Whittle's sister. You know who Harris Whittles was? No. Harris Whittles was this big time uh, comedian, comedy writer, TV writer. He actually invented the term humble brag. Really? Do you know what that term is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're a big humble bragger, I've by heard, the way. I've been accused of it. Yeah, you humble brag like a motherfucker. Anyway, Stephanie reached out to me about her, me going on her new podcast last day and perhaps us doing something called an ad swap between Last Day and Dopey because we have similar audiences. I thought that was a good idea. I talked to her partner, Jessica, and we are going to do an ad swap. So here's a little bit about Last Day. Last Day is a new podcast from Lemonada Media about the things that are killing us. It tackles massive epidemics and societal challenges that are hard to comprehend and getting worse every day. Now, this may sound bleak and depressing, but best-selling author Stephanie's Whittles Wax hosts the show with humanity, wit, and a quest for progress. Season one of Last Day, which just launched last week, explores the opioid crisis that is now killing more people than car accidents. The storytelling has you holding your breath. The show zooms in on one person's last day, explores how they got there, and then zooms out to help us understand the big picture and what can be done. Stephanie, who lost her brother, comedian Harris Whittles, to an overdose, knows a thing or two about the opioid crisis. And last day, you'll hear from people directly affected by the crisis, including Sarah Silverman and Aziz Ansari. I'm sorry. As well as authors, experts, policy leaders, including in communities of color and first responders. It's chilling and important, and you won't want to miss it. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And this is on this new podcast network called Lemonada. And fucking iTunes has them in the new and noteworthy section already. Ask how many times Dopey was in the new and noteworthy section. How many times was Dopey on the new and noteworthy? Guess. Zero? That's right, zero, right? Fuck iTunes. I know, man. They even fucking took us out of the charts. We used to be fucking, we used to rule the fucking self-help charts. Are you still on iTunes? Yes, but we're off the charts. So it's hard to find. Hard to find, and even harder to I listen on harder to resist. <laughs> I listen on Podbean. Well, that's where, we, that's where we, we host on Podbean. And speaking of this, now, I don't know... All of you old-time Dopey Nation listeners, Dopey Podcast listeners in the Dopey Nation, old-time members will call you, you remember how much Chris cared about reviews? Chris lived for iTunes reviews. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Chris would actually get the people in his school. He, to, would, he would have people write them. Fake reviews. Yeah, yeah. All over the place. And then, like... um. I got a couple of fake reviews, and then Chris and I would beg for reviews, and we got a lot of reviews. And lately, the reviews have been tapering you, off. You begged me. Well, did you do it? No. Why not? Maybe you could write a I review. I didn't want anything to do with this. Well, what are you... That's the other thing. You used to fucking duck dopey, and here you are. You wear a dopey shirt every day. You're got, begging me for the dopey beanie. I turned beanie. around. What the fuck I happened? I turned around. You're tweeting. You're Facebooking. What happened, Ray? I don't know. We went to West Virginia. Give me more. I was. I don't know. I. I listened. You know. I was. I listened at work this summer. I yeah. never listened. Dave was like, "Did you hear the new Dopey?" I'm like, "No, I don't listen to your <laughs> stupid Dopey podcast." Yes. And I was working. I had nothing. Nothing yeah. to listen to. And I listened to, uh, not all of them, but a lot of them. And I dug it. I listened to a lot of podcasts. And you realize that Dopey's better than most podcasts. It was. It's good. Yeah. And I had. I. I. I dug it. Well, the, the interesting thing, first of all, check like, out Last Day. I listened to Dopey Podcast nonstop for like five days. 
And well, first let's just tell people that they should listen to Last Day. It sounds very interesting on Last Day. Yes, totally check out Last Day, and let's listen for when they do the dopey ad read on Last Day. Are you excited for that? Yeah. Now the real point is no. You're not excited for the dopey. <laughs> yes, I am. Are you or you're not? Do you want to read the dopey ad? No, read? I do. Do you want to read the dopey ad read for Last Day? You think that'll be fun? Okay. All right, here. Uh, hold on. Here, read it. Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit has unique ability to horrify the listener as well as comfort them through skillful interviews and hilarious but sober storytelling by people from all sides of the recovery spectrum. Would you agree or disagree so far? Yes. All right, continue. Dopey is a shame and guilt-free space that promotes sharing without judgment, where every debaucherous detail is encouraged and nothing is off limits. Do you still agree? Yes. Okay. The only requirement for guests and listeners is brutal honesty, unconditional open-mindedness, and the genuine willingness to pee in your pants from the insane stories that remind us of what it is, what it was like to be in active addiction. Dave now hosts alone due to the tragic death by a fentanyl overdose of his friend and dopey co-creator, Chris, whose unfortunate legacy now is to carry the message. Each episode of Dopey has a different message. Sometimes it just might be the one you don't know you need. Sometimes it just might be the one that you don't know you need. Did I read that wrong? No, I don't know. Keep going. Tune in and turn on to Dopey and you'll have guests like Mark Maron, Margaret Cho, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Killer Mike. And when you listen carefully, you may or may not hear Artie Lang say, I I couldn't have done it without Dopey. Or Dr. Drew say, Dopey is without a doubt the most amazing podcast I've ever heard. Subscribe now. What do you think of that, Reed? That's good. Do you think that's going to net some last day listeners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be like the great net to ensnare the listeners. Um, Now, there's a lot of stuff to get to, Ray. Lots of stuff to get to. I, I, I think about last day... Every day, it's been on my mind. I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to be, this was my last day. I don't know. I can't like get over that. What do you mean? I just think about that a lot. Like, well, how do you think you're going to die? Your knee isn't going to kill you. I don't know. I'm going to be hit by a truck or I'm going to just have a heart <laughs> you, attack. or Because okay. you never know when your last day is coming. You know, I never think about really? that. Really? Never. This I think is, about my funeral from time to time. Oh. And I think about... You know, my I have this new thing that's going on, and I'm kind of freaked out about it, where I have these weird, blurry things in front of my eyes, like blurry waves of fucking clouds. Oh, like floaters in yeah. your eyes? Yeah, I have that too. It's just things are shit is just floating by. Yeah. And like, and I'm scared about, I'm scared I'm going blind to diabetes. I'm scared I'm going blind. That's what, that's my big fear. Oh. I'm not scared of dying. I'm scared of diabetes and going blind. You eat a lot of sugar. I know. In <laughs> fact, yesterday was Halloween. I was ganned off. Did you know that? I saw it, yeah. Not only was I Gandalf, my daughter was Gandalf. Lindoff was Lindoff. <laughs> Linda was a certain <laughs> female version of Gandalf. Then I gave my hat and my wig and my beard to Linda's dad, who became Gandalf. Everybody was Gandalf, except I, for the little baby who was Elmo. I didn't know who you were. I, I knew you were a wizard. Yes, I was Gandalf the Grey. What's that from? Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. You don't know anything about Lord of the Rings? No. That's interesting. Um, and I ate... So much fucking chocolate. And I eat chocolate. <laughs> I, li- I eat chocolate on a daily basis. I have a problem. I eat chocolate on a daily basis. And, and I didn't think I could eat too much chocolate. But last night I ate so much chocolate, I woke up at midnight with a, with a real bellyache. 
Uh, maybe the caffeine too. Nah, I don't know. I woke up sick. Oh. I woke up fucking sick to my stomach. You threw up? No, but I felt like I should. And then I drank a ton of water, and then I went back to sleep, and I had just the most out there fucking dope dream. Chocolate dreams. Well, it was just like dope dreams. I had dreams that I was copping dope. Oh, and and it was like time was passing, and I was like. And, and I, I had a couple dealers again. It was like, you know how like dreams can somehow extend for a yeah. long period of time? Did you get high? I don't think I got high in the dream, but I was totally scared that I was using so much that I was going to go into withdrawal. Like that, and it was real. It was oh. like, it was like happening in the dream. It was almost like the dream was like an alternate reality. Oh. And, um, but it was because I had all the chocolate. Yeah. But I, I, I am always fascinated how, like, I've been clean, you know, four years and a little bit. And, um, you know, I haven't done heroin in, I don't know, like 10 years or something, nine years or something. And yet my brain can access the total addiction and the total withdrawal and just all of these little nuanced things that I don't think about ever. And it's just right there. Like, it's just crazy. I hear people say uh, dope dreams or or drinking dreams a lot. I've heard that a lot. I've never had it. You've never had a drug dream or a drinking dream? Never. That's insane. Not even, you know, when I was drinking and drugging. You've never had one? No. I think that's... Profoundly strange, by the way. No, I've never, I've never done drugs in a dream. You know what else is really strange? What? That you wash your clothes in the shower no, while it's you're. Not. It's very no, weird, it's right? Not. It's the both things are very weird. <laughs> um, so we have a guest. I'm gonna, we're gonna play an interview with this buddy of mine or an uh, acquaintance of mine, I should say, who uh, owns the bar down the street from where I work, and I see him all the time. He's a very handsome fellow, and. Um, very, you know, real neighborhoody Irish guy, and he turned out he was clean and he's a drug addict. Um, now, Ray has an Irish guy visiting him at the same time, so I figured this was all very um, circumstantially synchroni- synchronous. Yeah. And um, Ray has a problem around this Irish man who's staying with him. Well, he's. He's a longtime friend of mine. A longtime friend and collaborator of and Ray's. We collaborate on projects. And but Ray wants to collaborate on getting into his <laughs> pants. <laughs> he's and, very good looking. And he's like lying in a bed that's like very near my bed. And it's very distracting. And Ray, Ray aches to be with this man. <laughs> Ray, Ray, Ray was supposed to record Dopey, and then he went on a romantic jaunt with this dude upstate. And I said, is it going well? And he said, no, it's psychic murder or something. <laughs> he said, it's killing me psychically. It's, pain, it's, it's, it's painful to like lust after somebody who's a friend of yours for seven days straight. Well, but anyway. We listened to we listened to uh, Johnny Irish, and he was my friend was trying to guess where he was from. Were, from you, his spo- accent. were you spooning him while you were, we were listening? Spooning, yeah, we were spooning. You were spooning, and he said, "Oh, I wonder, can you do can you do an Irish?" Accent? I can't do an Irish accent. I, I I can't do one either. But he was guessing he was from Waterford. All right, let's see if Bob is right. Here is Johnny Irish on uh, on Ludlow Street. No, yeah, on Ludlow Street. All right. So this is an exciting new idea for the show. I've worked on Ludlow Street for a long time, and there's this very handsome man who works at the on the other end of Ludlow Street. Charming man. Charming, 
handsome. Irish man. Irish to the bone. And every morning he would say, oh, good morning. And, and I don't even remember when we started talking. Uh, Many uh, years ago. I don't know how. I know. I, I, I seen you with the Cat's Deli. Uh, oh, with the T-shirt. T-shirt. And I'm like, oh, shit. This guy must have something to do with Cat's Deli. So I got to say hello to the guy because I'm going to see him every fucking day because Cat's Deli is on the corner, you know? So I don't, I don't want to sound like a, look like a weirdo that I don't say hello, but I got to say hello to this guy because he has a cat's deli. Do you say hello to all the Dominican guys? Yeah, I say hello to just about everybody on the street, but not everybody, you know. But that's an but old... If you have a fucking T-shirt of your, where you work, I better say hello because I'm going to be seeing you for quite a while. Well, we're neighbors. We're neighbors, that's it. Not to mention, like, that's some old school New York thing that isn't around very often where there is a neighbor... There is a neighborhood. There's people in the neighborhood that you see all the time. And you, I mean, like, this is, let me just introduce him. This is Johnny. Should we call you Johnny Irish? Johnny, just Johnny. Irish, why not? Johnny Irish. And, and Johnny's a very old school New York character, even though he's from Ireland. Came to New York in 1986. Right, there you go. That's an old school New York character. Yeah, that's it. Taxi but driver. You were a taxi driver. No, no, in a movie, taxi driver. Okay. Um... You know what I'm saying, though. It's like the neighborhoods of New York kind of disappear, but things like saying hello to the dude on the corner because you know you'll see them again. It's a very New York neighborhoody thing. See, but what's beautiful about it, it's not like L.A. L.A. is like spread out. Like New York is like Manhattan, four million people crammed into a, 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 a telephone box. So you're in each other's face all the time, which is nice. So that makes it a neighborhood. and You can be anonymous if you want to. Or you can make it a neighborhood if you want to. How long have you been around this neighborhood? Uh, well, I, when I moved to New York in 86, I lived in Woodside, Queens for a year. But then I would look into Manhattan and see that skyline, and I'm like, I want to move into Manhattan. So my next uh, place where I stayed was like the East Village. I just wanted to move into the East Village with the weirdos, the freaks, the artists, the writers... You know, I just want to be right in the heart of it. And I moved into um, East 11 between 1st and 2nd. I'm like, this is where I belong. All right. So you've been around ever since? You still live in the neighborhood? Uh, about four years ago, I, I got a little bit gentrified and I moved over to NoHo. NoHo. NoHo? NoHo. Very fancy dancing. What is NoHo? NoHo is north of Soho. Where is so the You're in New York. I know, but I never heard of I don't know anything about NoHo. No so, where, where, really so you live like west of here, a little bit yeah, west. Yeah, yeah, it's a really rich neighborhood. Nice. I, actually, it's quiet. I moved from, I'm, I'm 54 now. I wanted a small bit of quietness, so I did my East Village for 28 years. And, you know, when you get older, you want a little bit more quietness. But now I'm remembering the connection with us is that Johnny's boss is a guy that I knew from. Uh, is he your boss? No, uh, he'd be, we'd be business partners. Do you own this place? Yes. Dude, I didn't even know. Yes, yes. Johnny's business partner is a dude that I, that I got clean, and he was a very great help to me when I got clean. He, wow, I didn't know that. He was a very, very generous person to me. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty cool with everybody. He, 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 a lot of people like that guy. They come up to him, and they're like, oh. He's he, very generous and very kind generous. and very yeah, sweet. Yeah, uh, Johnny, yeah. I, didn't, I had no idea you owned this bar. So my sponsor... Um, he sponsored him. Okay, both of us. So that's how I got to know him. So then, when I met, I saw you here. I think I started asking you about that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like the connection. So I always wanted to hear, uh, like, when, how long you been clean? Uh, Nineteen years. Okay, so and you moved to the city before that. So you must have had some ridiculous stories around the East Village in 1986. I think I landed on a 
Friday. My brother was here six months before me. He said, let's go down to Times Square. I got to show you Times Square, which was like just peep shows, runaways, drifters, pimps, whores. Um, it was like movie taxi driver. It was exactly the good old like days. No, it was, yeah. good old days. You it know? was a mess. It, it was a mess. But it was a beautiful mess. It was a beautiful, it was a, just a, a creative, beautiful mess, you know. And we're walking down 42nd Street, and my brother says, come on, let's go into this peep show. You know, I'd, I'd come from Ireland. No peep shows. You know, it was like Catholic Ireland. We go into this peep show. We get the coin. We put in, I put in the slot. You know, you, go, you open up this door. You go into this booth. And I put in the coin. And the slot opened up. And I looked in. It was like 10 people in an orgy on a fucking mattress. I was like, whoa, holy <laughs> shit. Damn, this is New York. And just like the, the insanity and the craziness. And, but it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful city. It was just, it was full of creative people back then because artists and writers could afford to live in Manhattan. Yeah. There was a lot of creative people in well, Manhattan. Well, back then, this neighborhood was so fucked up. Um, I, I, I've been around cats. Cap- heroin capital of the world. Yeah. Lower East Side was. I remember when I started working there, there were no bathroom stall doors because the junkies would fall out in there. So they didn't have, so if you took a shit, you were just in the open. Totally. You know, right, and, right. uh, and back then they were selling buildings on the street for a buck if you I chased know. the crackheads out of I it. I know. My, my business partner's brother could have got a building down here for one dollar. I know. And he refused it. He said, no, I don't want it. It's just. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. So when you came over, what were you fucking around with? Uh, see, it was a slow uh, graduation for me. You see, you know, I, I picked up my first beer when I was like 16, 17 in Ireland. But then um, I knew a guy that grew weed. So then I popped into the weed situation, you know. But then when I came to New York, I was just drinking and doing weed. And um, I then I knew this guy called Louis. We used to call him Louis E. Because he used to sell so much ecstasy. Now today they call him Molly. We used right. to call him Louis E. And man, he used to sell them like, like um, MMMs, you know, like Smarties. And I remember trying my first ecstasy. So now I'm going on to a different level. So you went from weed to ecstasy. There was no coke in between or There's anything? There's no coke in between. When, when, when was the year that you first did uh, ecstasy? I'm oh, just curious. The, the, the ecstasy, um, uh, the, the big e, t- e scene was like, what was that, like 80, 88? That was, was lot, the very beginning. Yeah, there was a lot of ecstasy coming into, um, into New York City. Actually, it was coming in from Amsterdam. All those guys uh, ended up getting busted. I read a big article on the New York Post. There was this guy that was bringing it all in from Amsterdam. And, um, but the place was flooded with ecstasy pills at the time. <clears throat> and I remember like doing my first ecstasy pill. And I'm sitting back. Nothing's happened for a half an hour. Nothing's happened for 40 minutes. And then I got into a cab. I'm heading through the Midtown Tunnel. And next minute, the e-pill hit me. It was like, whoa! Damn. You know, but, you know, it's just... As the usual thing, trying to get out of myself, you know what I mean? It's like... Was that like the raving, clubbing days? Yeah. Yeah. Were, you, were you big in that stuff? Yeah, I would do the, the Palladium, the Limelight, the Tunnel, all those clubs. You know, uh, yeah, we would, I would meet up with friends. we all drop an E and go to the Limelight, the Palladium, the Tunnel. And, um, and you'd go out dancing? Were you like a club kid? Yeah, yeah, I was like a club kid. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, That's far up. I used to own all those clubs. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of uh, deep into the scene, you know? And then there was like deep, I was living in the East Village. I was right in the, the heart of it. What was the vision? What did you want to do? 
Um, actually, I, I studied art in high school, and, and um, you know, I, I, I love doing photography, so I always like kind of like kept doing my photography, and I always wish to photograph more around New York. I still have old photographs of New York City, but um, I, you know, it's kind of more of a party scene, you know. I didn't really know a vision, you know what I mean? It was, I, was, I just went with the wave, you know. If somebody said to me, hey, I got a job for you on Wall Street, I would have went to Wall Street if, um, you know, but I ended up doing just different shit, you know what I mean? Totally. When did, when did it go from, like, good times to not so good times? What was the transition like? Well, you see, it was a very slow graduation. And then after the ecstasy, I kind of got fed up doing the ecstasy because, um, you know, you take that one hit of ecstasy, now you're high for like eight hours and, and you're like... It's an oh, investment. Yeah, and, and you're stuck high for eight hours, you know what I mean? I didn't have control over it, you know? I then, um, one night, um, uh, I asked a guy, hey, do you have any weed? And he said, no, I got something better. I said, what have you got? He said, I got some coke. I'm like, okay. And I was always scared of coke. You know what I mean? I would hear the dangers of it, people overdosing, people dying, you know, um, you know, you'll get addicted. And it was just, it's that slow graduation, you know, where somebody just says, hey, I got something better, I got coke. I'm like, okay, I, I'll do a hit of it. And, um, you know, that's, that's now crossing the line. And, and, and in your head, you're lying to yourself. Ah, I know, it's, I'll do one hit, you know. And um, I remember I did that one hit. And, you know, of course, the dopamines are firing in the brain. It's making you feel happy. And it's always trying to feel better. You know, like a... But the thing about the Coke was it only lasted about 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, I got control here. It only lasts 15 minutes. You're not, like, tripping face for eight hours exactly. and not knowing what the exactly. fuck is going to happen next. Yeah, you felt yeah. you could control it or whatever. Yeah. And then one other thing as well, it's like um, I wasn't good with, uh, you know, drinking, you know, I, I, by 2 o'clock in the morning, I, I, you know, I couldn't really drink anymore because I'm not really a big guy and trying to keep up with the other dudes. And that hit a Coke, man. That was like, man, I can go now till 4 o'clock in the morning. So now I have putting more fuel on the fire. The fire was starting to get bigger and bigger. Uh, but the Coke only started out, you know, there was a place down Avenue, 7th Street and Avenue B. Yeah, there was, there was a line. There was a line of fucking junkies lining up to a brownstone. <laughs> and I remember walking down one side of the street one night and looking over and saying, hey, look at all the junkies lining up for their, for their drugs, you know? And it was, it was, a, it was a, a crew called the Laundromat Crew because the guy that run the operation, he owned a laundromat at the end of the block. But they all got busted and they all went off to federal prison. But I looked over and seen the line. I'm like, oh, look at all the junkies. Five months later, I was in that line. You were on the line. I was on the line with the junkies lining up for my Coke because these guys sold $5 bags of Coke, you know, so... Did they sell heroin and Coke or just the Coke? Yeah, they sold heroin and Coke. Right. And that's when I started getting into the, the, the heavy, heavy drugs, the heavy scene down in um, the Lower East Side. That's where there's one place where you walk into the lobby and um, a basket would come down from the seventh floor on a rope and it would, like, just park right in front of your face and one side would say H and one side would see, say C. You put your $10 into it. The, the basket would go all the way back up to the seventh floor because, you know, if the cops came in, those guys were gone. You know, they're already on the seventh floor. And, um, you know, this place was on 7th Street and Avenue B. 
um, was $5 bags of Coke. So I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm just doing like a $5 bag of Coke. I'm not spending much money. Right, right. I'm not an addict. I'm not spending $500 a night. I'm not like stabbing people, robbing people, you know, doing whatever to get my drugs. You know what I mean? I'm making money. But that five bag turned into a $10 bag. You know, I would get that like, you know, a $5 bag on a Thursday night, a $5 bag on a Friday night, a $5 bag on a Saturday night. And I'm it like, still hey, sounds pretty reasonable. Oh, $15. You know, you know what I mean? It's not bad, you know? Yeah, totally. Not bad at all. And, um, but then, of course, it, it turns into, you know, the $5 bag on a Wednesday night, the $5 bag on a Tuesday night. But it's only $5, you know? Uh, $5 on a Monday night. And then, of course, the $5 turns into the 10 I end up getting four bags, you know what I mean? Four $5 bags. Now it's 20, 20, <laughs> 20, 20. But here's the question, because it's something like kids who listen to this or like, you know, I never had a situation where I was copping with a basket that went up outside of a window. And it just seems like, it, I'm sure people who cop today, there's no baskets going to any windows because you couldn't trust that anything would come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? Like, oh, I, I copped up in the Bronx where it was holes in the wall where you right. put your hand in. So how reliable was the pulley system? Like nine times out of ten, you got what you wanted, right? Oh, the basket was always reliable. Always good. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, it, you would always come back. You know what I mean? These guys are business people. You know what right. I mean? They have good product. You know, they have the nice stamp on it. Like sometimes they used to say like overdose or it would have a skull on it. Yes. You know, on the Coke bags too? On the Coke stamp? bags. Right. You know what I mean? I was kind of telling you, like if you do this, you could overdose. Like, but that's, that's the graduation of the disease. You know what I mean? You're, 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 you're addicted. You know what I mean? Totally. So you, you went know, that's from the sad part, you, you know? went from five dollar bags to four or five dollar bags, and then you started meeting a dealer or something, probably. Ah uh, no, actually, I was constantly going to that place all the time. And then, uh, but I used to be scared going there because you don't know when the cops are going to show up. Yeah, I remember one time I came out of uh, a building and and the cops just pulled up, and um, you know I could have affected my you know later on in life. You know what I mean? Um, lucky uh, the cops showed up. But somebody inside said, hey, five O's coming, five O's coming. You know, I didn't have any drugs on me. But if I got caught with, like, cocaine on me, I would have had a felony. And that would have ruined my everything for the rest of my life. Like, if you want to get a real estate license, if you want to get a liquor license, if you want to get a license to do this, if you want to get a license to drive a taxi, you know, you're not going to get any of these because you have a felony. But this is the danger. that This is what you're putting yourself into as well. Not just ruin your, your, your life with drugs, but ruin your life with uh, an arrest with, with a felony on it. The potential gets limited. The potential gets limited, you know. I agree. Did but, you ever want to sell real estate? Was that a thing? Actually, yeah, I did. Like, right. uh, I ended up getting, uh, getting sober. I ended up getting a real estate license and, and rented apartments for a while. But, you know, thank God, you know, I did get sober. I didn't keep going, you know, keep doing... Uh, no, drugs and alcohol, I would have eventually definitely got caught. You know what I mean? You eventually do get caught. But these cops searched me. I didn't have anything on me. And I was like, man, it's like, what am I doing here? What's going on with my life? Fuck, I just got, I could have got arrested. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm fucking going into a dark building, you know, with a basket coming down from the seventh floor. It's like, what's, what's going on here? Was that the end of it? No, um, no, it just, it kept on gradually getting just, just, you know, the, 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 it turned into like about $80, $100 a night. I remember I ended up meeting this woman, and she would like, um, which was great. She would actually, I would give her the money, and she would actually go and get the Coke for me. 
So now, now it felt. Would safe. she get free coke out of it? Like, what was I, the she deal? would always get a bag out of it. You okay, know what so I mean? that's like, why she, she she was your friend. She was yeah, your girlfriend. Yeah. What was the deal? Yeah, she, well, she was an addict. She had no teeth in her head. And she I'm needed like, some coke. She needed coke. So you she, know what I mean? she yes. It reminds me when I when I um at the end of my heroin run, I, I had a million heroin runs, but my last heroin run, I was working here next door, and I would cop on the Bowery. Uh, there's this very fancy hotel on the Bowery. You know the hotel? It's on the corner. It's kind of a brick building, and it's right next to the fucked up homeless shelter methadone clinic. Oh, yes, clinic. yes, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I used to cop at the homeless shelter methadone clinic. Oh, yeah. Guaranteed to have somebody there. Oh, yeah. And, and I hadn't had a source. I had lived in California for, forever. And um, this is the best thing I'm ever going to see in my life, by the way. Johnny is about to smoke a cigarette in his bar. And it's something that... I haven't smoked a cigarette in like, uh, I don't know, two and a half years uh, or something? I wish you could quit. I hate smoke. No, 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 no. But the fact that you're about to smoke inside in Manhattan makes me... Here, let me, let me do that for you. It makes me want to smoke so badly because I can see people smoking and just enjoy the smell of it. But inside, in Manhattan... It's like it takes me back. I know. When you had a big ashtray on the bar. Oh, man, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. You have your beer next to you. You just flick your, your ashtra- ashes Dude, into the ashtray all night. I was going to ask you for one, but then I was like, I don't want the, the listeners to be like, uh-oh, Dave's, Dave's recovery is fucked up because he's asking for a cigarette. But what a treat to smoke inside. I you know, know. I, I love know. that. It's like uh, F you to the government. <laughs> it's your spot, man. I don't even know how I thought this wasn't your spot. I feel terribly embarrassed. <laughs> but the story that I was going to tell you was, so I'm copping on the Bowery, and, um, you know, I didn't have a connection, so I just went to some homeless people, and they became my connection over there. Yeah, yeah. And, and one day, I'm walking up there, and I had called someone ahead to go buy dope, and um, I'm walking. It's a hot day in the summer, and I'm like a mess. You know, I'm half high and half sick, and I'm going to cop. And, and these cops pull up out of nowhere, and they jump out on the street. And I had just copped, and, I, and I'm just certain they're going to pick me up. They picked up three guys right next to me, and somehow they just didn't see me or whatever, and I just kept walking, and I was like, oh, it was like the heart in my throat moment. And it's I like, had the same experience. But see, they don't want you. They want those guys because they they have the connection to the to the deal to the to the dealer ahead of them. It was like on Eleventh Street on Second Avenue. Um, this was like when Giuliani just came in, and that's uh, when things really started to change. Yeah, well, it's like back then there was no cell phones or any of that shit. It was like there was, it was guys standing on, on corners. You know what I mean? On 11th Street, they had a brand called Terminator. And on 12th Street, um, there was a brand called GQ. Now, these guys would own the corner. And they, they used to sell the corner for like 250000 300000 They owned it that corner. Nobody else could go on that corner, you know? And I remember... When Giuliani came in, the, the TNT squad, I think it was called Tactical Narcotic Task Force, they started sweeping neighborhoods. And the East Village was the first one. And basically what they were doing, they were going up on the rooftops of buildings with binoculars and just like looking down, you know, looking at the dealers, looking where they're, where they're hiding their coke. And I remember one night I went over and I'm ready to give the guy the money. Out of nowhere, like three cops came out and over and jammed their guns right into this guy's stomach. And I just turned around and walked away. But they weren't interested in me, they were interested in him. Right. But then here's the scary part. Now, you think that would have, like, frightened me from, like, you know, not copying. Here's the addiction now. You're in the full addiction. You're, you're desperate. You want it. I remember standing on that corner one night for, like, 
four hours. The dealers didn't come out one night. You know, there must have been a scare or something. But I'm standing there for four hours waiting for these dealers to come out. So now, you know, the, your, your addiction becomes, in, becomes a full-time job. It was always Coke, though. It was always Coke, always Coke. And um, I remember another night, the same thing happens again. I go over to the corner, ready to give the guy the money. Out of nowhere, two cops on the cover ram their guns into the guy's stomach. I turn around and walk away. You would think like, hey, this is a wake-up call. You better stop doing this. You're the one that's going to get arrested as well. And it is a wake-up call. You just don't really wake up. It's, like, it's more like a, like a snooze button uh, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, I was lucky. You know what I mean? You, know, well, you, you were sniffing it? You were smoking it? You were shooting sniffing it? it? Sniffing it all the time. Sniffing it all the time. Waiting on the corner. Fucking. Yeah. And, and New York, I mean, just to paint a picture, we're talking about the end of really dangerous New York is yeah, what you, you're you, talking about. You, um, or dangerous think, Manhattan. About eight, uh, this was going into 97. Uh, uh, Giuliani was like, he had his um, uh, uh, drug, dr- drug team, like 20 or 40 of them sweeping every neighborhood, you know, like It's every just amazing, night. though, like that 10-year period, you know, like or that 15-year period from the end of the 80s to whatever, the end of the 90s, you know, I, I didn't start doing heroin seriously until the end of the 90s, and, and, and it was eroding, you know, the scene, like, where you could cop easily, like, where it was. Like, I, I lived on Ludlow Street, or no, I lived on Norfolk Street years and years ago uh, in, in 1996 or 1997, and, uh, and in the building, in the bottom of the building, there was a little Dominican heroin crew, and they kept the heroin in the staircase. And I wasn't doing heroin, but they would always offer me heroin. I just smoked weed. <laughs> and and it, was just, it was just there. And then when I became a heroin addict, it was not as easy to find it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but, but then uh, as well, like in, in the East Village, it was like there was bodegas. You just go in and you, there was a code word. You would find out through a friend or whatever. And you go in and say, hey, I want some bananas. Like, and they would just <laughs> give you a brown paper bag. You know what I mean? And Was bananas actually a code word? Do you remember any of the actual code words? Yeah, yeah. One of them was bananas. Wow. Yeah. I didn't. I remember one day I was walking down Avenue C. This is so bizarre. Okay. This is so bizarre. Like, this is unreal. It was a supermarket. It was just a supermarket in the Lower East Side and, 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 and East Village. And it was this... It looked like a deli. You, when you walked into it, it was like a half a dozen, like, um, boxes of cornflakes, you know, a half a dozen, like, Tyler Rolls, a half... You know, like, these guys are not selling anything. But it was like a bank. You know when you go into a bank and there's a plexiglass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had the kind of, like, the basic, really, really basic, like, deli shit. Um, and there was a guy sitting behind a plexiglass, like a bank. The bulletproof fucking glass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I, was, I wouldn't say it was bulletproof. I would say it was more like plexiglass. Like, like thick. plexiglass. Okay. And I'm like, this is like weird. Are they selling drugs here? And there was one guy in front of me, right? And um, I see him putting his money in, you know, through the hole in the plexiglass. And the guy gives him, gives him drugs. And he turns around and looks at me. This guy, and he says to me, can you believe this? This is great. <laughs> so I go up, I just hand him my $20, like, can I have 20 of Coke? And the guy just gives me 20 of Coke, and I walk out. I don't know how long these guys last. Usually they don't last too long, you know what I mean? They no. get busted off. But that's the way it was. it was. It was unreal deal. Like, you could throw a stone and get drugs. That's how easy. You would throw a stone and you would hit a drug dealer. And it was before uh, crazy gentrification in New York. It was before everything was super expensive. I used to have weed spots like that. I had a couple of weed spots in the East Village and a couple of weed spots probably in NoHo. 
if yeah. you, you know. But I would never, I never called it NoHo. It would probably on Houston by by Sullivan and all. I guess it was. I don't know what you call that neighborhood. What did uh, uh, that's yeah, that's Sullivan on what? Like off, like on the north side of Houston. Like uh, oh, that's NoHo. Okay, that's no-ho, there you yeah. go. There you uh, go. NoHo means north of Houston. I, <laughs> I know what it means. <laughs> um, but every corner in New York was a was a drug corner. Every corner in New York. In the, I suppose, the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, you know, before the, you know, um, back then we, we had pagers. But every corner in New York, well, there, was, there was a price tag on it from drug dealers. You know what I mean? They sold corners to each other. So every corner in, in Manhattan had a price on it. You know, so there's drug dealers in every corner. I remember people saying, oh, I, I, there's a place on 44th Street and 7th Avenue. There's a place on 33rd and right. on 2nd Avenue. There's another spot you should go uh, 9th Street on, 14, on 4th Avenue or whatever. It's like, but they, had, they owned all these spots. So when did, it, when did it go from, it went from nothing to something, and then it went from something to something bigger, and when did it go from something bigger to something bad for you? Oh, then it's like, uh, I was like going like seven nights, you know, uh, I was like, I would, around seven o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, I would get that urge to do coke, you know? And I would head over to my local bar, hang out there till four o'clock in the morning. And now I'm doing this like six nights a week. And I remember one night, I just like, I went and copped coke. And I came back to my apartment, got dressed, did one hit of, hit, hit of coke. And now I, cu- I couldn't get out of my apartment. So now I'm just doing coke in my apartment on my own. I was getting very, very lonely, you know. Of course, just watching fucking porn and shit, you know what I mean? And um, and just doing it till 4 o'clock in the morning and, and going to that lady that could go and get me the, the coke. And, um, and, I, and, and I started seeing my friends move on, open up bars and restaurants. You know what I mean? And, and you're stuck. And I'm stuck. My, you know, I remember my bartender would say, hey, he said to me, oh, I'm leaving. I'm like, oh, are you leaving to, for another job? He said, no, I'm leaving to open up a bar. And I remember then the, there was two girls that worked in, in the bar as waitresses. And about two months later, they said to me, hey, Johnny, we're leaving. I'm like, oh, you're leaving to another bar or restaurant? No, no, we're leaving to open up our own bar. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm just l- wasting my life. I'm spending all my money. And I, and I was kind of jealous because I thought these people who said to me, they knew me so well, hey, do you want to come and open a bar with us? But they didn't want to open a bar with me. They knew I was doing coke seven nights a week. Nobody wants to open up a business with somebody that's doing coke all the time. And then it was just one... You know, and it was the same old story, 7 o'clock in the morning, the birds are chirping, you know, you can hear the sanitation trucks outside. I'm doing my last bit of coke, you know what I mean? Or the coke is gone, I'm looking down on the ground, it's either to drop any on the ground, and it's just, I'm at my bottom. And one morning, it was 7 o'clock in the morning, and I was just wide awake, and I'm trying to sleep, and I just said, I just, I, you know, I, I kind of debated from time to time the God thing, you know, but it, I feel there is something out there because I said, I asked God about six million times, God, please help me, please help me, please help me. I must have said it about 40 times. And, um, and you know, I woke up and I kind of, you know, I knew for some strange reason, I knew there was an AA meeting on, on, on 14th Street. And I just got up, it was nine o'clock in the morning, and I just walked up. The one in the synagogue one? No, I remember it was on 14th Street and 2nd Avenue. Remember, they had, they had about 10 different meetings in there. Oh, you wouldn't remember that one. That's the old school. Yeah, you talk to the old school no, recovery guys. They're like, oh, 14th Street. No, yeah. I never went there. Yeah, yeah. That was a legendary place. You know, they had like a lot of different types of meetings that's in when, there. Remember when St. Mark's was like that? <coughs> and they had like a million meetings in that building. Oh, that's right, yeah. And like, um, I just, 
seen myself walking up Second Avenue. I made a left. I walked in, and maybe somebody brought me to a meeting there six years previously. You knew you could go there. I knew I could go there, and I couldn't figure out why, but somebody must have brought me there once. And I walked into the meeting, and I sat down, and um, there was two guys. You know, I, I, I shared, you know what I mean? I'm John, first meeting. I remember these two guys walked over, and they looked like kind of rock stars. You know what I mean? They had that cool, like, punk, you know, East Village look. And, and they're like, hey, Johnny, how you doing? Congratulations. And one of them said, I got six months. The other guy says, I got, like, seven months, like, clean and sober. And I just looked at these guys. And I'm like, if these guys can do it, Anybody can do it. Was that introduction, they were like, they came over, they were friendly. You know, I'm scared, I'm lonely, I'm sad, I'm depressed. You know, I'm at my bottom, I'm miserable. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm caught in this, like, cage of addiction. I, I wasn't going on vacation anymore. I was just stuck in the East Village. Because, you know, you go on vacation, you have to go find drugs somewhere else. You know what I mean? And I was caught in this cage. And these two guys just coming over to me and saying, hello, how are you doing? Man, it just changed my life. You know what I mean? And then it's like a, it was my my slow recovery, you know. That's awesome. So like, you didn't have so like you just had a moment in a morning where you were like, I've had enough. Well, well, well. Actually, my brother came into recovery about six months um, previously. So, so he was I, like, he was like talking to you. So I, I knew it was about, in your head. I, I knew I knew there was something out there as well. But like um, finding myself going walking to Fourteenth Street, you know, was like a really surreal. Very, very surreal, you know what I mean? And, and I, I, to this day, I'm like, how did I know that meeting was there? Maybe it was God carrying me, you know what I mean? Was, it's, it's hard. I still No, it's one out. of the, but it's like people ask me all the time, like, what can they do? Or like, they want to stop, but they don't want to stop. And I honestly always say, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I say, go to a meeting, but if you don't want to do it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It has to click in. Exactly. And, 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 and it's like, I'm not quick to talk about God because uh, it's like, it's weird to me. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's kind of weird to me, too. You know what I mean? Of course. Of yeah. course. But like, it, it's really, things happen because they happen. Yesterday, I hadn't been to a meeting in so long. In, in a, I don't know, fifth, two weeks, maybe. I hadn't yeah. been to a meeting. And uh, my daughter had, it was, had strep throat, and, like, my wife didn't want me to go to a meeting, and I was working, and this and that, and whatever. And yesterday morning, I wake up, and I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to go to a meeting today. I, I have to go. It's been too long. And I, I get out of my house. It's, uh, it's an 8 in the morning meeting on the beach where I live out in Suffolk County. Oh, nice. And, and it's the fucking Suffolk County Marathon. So the main street is closed off. It's pouring rain, wind, blah, blah, blah. I can't get across the the thing to get to the meeting and and um you know it's a funny story of mine on uh, 911 I, I had to go co- I had to get methadone on 911 and I had oh, to go shit. across the fucking tanks and the guys with the machine yeah, gun yeah. and yesterday morning to get to the meeting I kind of felt like I was copying methadone oh, and I get there it's a beach meeting wind and rain and they're celebrating two two guys who who was their first year they're having cake in the fucking hurricane on the beach wow. for, for a meeting and it was like it's very special you know what I mean it's yeah, like yeah. And when you can get yourself to that place it's like you know, everyone says a meeting it gives them, you know, they hear the word of God or this and that. It just felt like it was so good for me to be around alcoholics that had their shit together be, and they wanted to be together. It just felt good. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It, that was my experience yesterday. Was, well, well, you know, as I say, recovery is like, you know, I walked for like miles in the rain to cop. I walked in exactly. miles for rain, in the snow, like up to my 
up to my ankles. You know what I mean? So if you chase your recovery as much as you chase your drug, you know what I mean? You know, go to any lengths. You know, you might say, oh, there's a snowstorm, there's a rainstorm, but you're guaranteed you, you will get to that meeting, it's going to be packed. Yeah, it was sweet. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Cool. So, like, how long did it take... Um, like, when did your mind start to change in the, in the program or, or, like, not using? Well, I, I knew when I was at that meeting, I was in the right place. I knew, like, look at these people. These people are staying uh, clean and sober. There's something right here. This is the end of the road. This is where I belong. It resonated. It resonated. And, um, and, you know, of course, I got my 90 days, you know, relapse. You know, I remember getting another, like, 90 days relapsing. I think another maybe three months relapse. Was there ever just a terrible relapse story that you oh, could think of? Oh, it was just, it was, it was, a, it was like going back to exactly where I was before, picking up the coke at 7 o'clock in the afternoon. It's like 8 o'clock in the morning once again. The birds are chirping, the sun is out, sanitation trucks, just going back to exactly the way was it was before. Was it mostly because you were bored or something? Like, what was it, you think? You know, well, I'll tell you what it was like. And, and I think i say maybe the first year it was constant relapsing. You know, but I, I would relapse for one night and go back because I knew there was nowhere else to go. Because you regretted it too. You know, and I'd be miserable for like another like 25 days, counting down days. I knew there was nowhere else to go. This is the end of the road. You know, I can't do this. I can't go on like this for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? I have to keep trying. But I remember there was this one guy and he was like, you know, he was a heroin addict and he was like really so bad. He used to come in and he hadn't got the energy to sit on a chair. He used to sit on the floor all the time. But now, here I am, getting my three months, six months relapsing, and I watched this guy get a year. Yeah. And next minute, I see him <laughs> sitting up on the chair. I'm like, I'm the idiot here. Yeah. You know, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. He's doing something right. And all of a sudden, it's like, this fucking junkie's got a year, and I can't fucking keep from getting coke? Exactly. So, so I'm funny. like, I'm doing something wrong here. Right. I'm doing something wrong. But what I realized what I was doing wrong, you know, when you go into a meeting and you see the 12 steps up on the... On, on the wall, they're not there for decorations. They're there for a reason, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, I said to myself, you know something? I got to give these steps a shot, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, I, I finally got the first one down. I'm powerless, you know, the second one, the third one. And then the, the fourth step was like, it's basically like, you know, and I didn't want to do it, you know what I mean? It's basically kind of like telling your whole life story, all your embarrassing shit, you know, shit that happened to you. But, like, you know, for me, we make it out to be, like, um, the size of Mount Everest when it's only the size of an, uh, of an anthill in reality because it's just spinning around in our head. And we all do the same dumb yeah. shit. Even no matter how stupid it might be, it's, like, and never I, that bad. And, and, I, would go, and, and I, would, I would go to four-step meetings, and I would kind of hang out with people that did the four-step, and every one of them said, like, oh, when I did the four-step, it really changed my life. You know what I mean? So, like, I wanted to change. You know what I mean? I had to change. And I remember I got this guy, a sponsor, and he was in, and he'd been, did time in prison. And, um, you know, I remember doing my four-step with him, and I, I, I wrote it out fully. You know, you can't half a heart to do it or do it 80%. I just wrote everything from like my childhood all the way up to my present. Everything on it. I put everything on it. I said, I got to do this right. You know, it took me a little while, a couple of months, but I put everything down on it. And I remember my sponsor was like, Oh, that happened to you once. That happened to me 10 times. 
You did that once. I did that like 20 times. <laughs> so it's always making everything out to be like so big. And right. this guy had fucking right. all this bad shit. I had well, you pick the greatest, worst criminal in the world to be your sponsor. Exactly. I kind of knew he'd been through the wars. You know what I mean? That's funny. And so he got the four step and he ripped it up into a thousand pieces, threw it into a garbage bin and just said, hey, Johnny, I'll meet you for a coffee uh, during the week. It was, it was so simple. He just, he read it out and just said, you know, all this stuff happened to me a million times. You know what I mean? It only happened to me once. I walked out of his house in, in Queens and I stepped onto the sidewalk and my head was clear. It had, I had written it all down and taken it out of, all out of my head. I'm like, wow, I was making a big deal about nothing all my life. You know what I mean? It was a, a making a, a molehill. A out, mountain out of a molehill. A mountain out of a molehill, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I, and I remember I hit that sidewalk. I was free and my head was clear, you know? Because, you know, I, at this stage I had close to about two years, but my head was still spinning around, you know what I mean? Like doing that fourth step really just clears your head. You know what I mean? It's just like, I actually was at peace. I had happiness, you know what I mean? I actually, I, when I hit that sidewalk, I was happy, joyous, and free. It's amazing. I remember when I, when I, I had been around uh, program for a million years and I never did anything and I always relapsed and I always was like, but I go to meetings, but I never did any, any work. Yeah. You know? And then when I finally, this time I was like, the okay. pain, it was well, more pain. It was, I wasn't getting better. It yeah, was like, exactly. I'd go to the meeting and I would relapse and I would want to use and I, and I didn't enjoy recovery and everyone was like, well, you're not taking suggestions. Mm. So like I did that and I took suggestions and when I did my fourth step for the first time, what it was for me was, uh, it was, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm like a big mouth and I'm an open book and I tell everybody just about everything about me. So it wasn't that. It, what it was for me was knowing that I was doing something to get myself better. And like when I felt like I was actually taking steps to get better, I was like, holy shit, I'm getting better. It was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. For yeah. Me. And it was... Uh, you know, and, and, and doing, I, I did the steps once with this old Jewish guy who I really loved, and he moved to California, and now I'm about to do it again. Like, I want to do the, the steps again, and I'm dragging my feet, because I, I think I should, did you only do it once? How many times yeah, did you do it? Yeah, I only did, do, did it once, but it's good to do it again, too, you know what I mean? Because, I figure, you know, why not? Yeah, because, you, you, you know, you, you still have all these little character defects and stuff you've done wrong. It's kind of, you know... Yeah, we ain't saints when we're sober, you know what I mean? But, you know, we no try kidding. our best, you know? How, do you still go to meetings? Yeah, yeah. How often do you go? I go, like, at least three times a week, you know? Nice. Well, that keeps it fresh. And then, and then sometimes, like, you know, um, I, something happens, you know, with the business here. If I can, I'm ready to go and a pipe breaks and the place is floated, you know what I mean? So, you know... It's uh, a lot I'm, to deal with. Yeah, yeah. So I try, and, I try and constantly show up, you know what I mean? Yeah. And kind of most important thing is, like, show up and, like, I see a, new, a newcomer... And I would go over to him and say hello because I know he's like scared, lonely, miserable, depressed. The way I was on my first day, uh, you know, by somebody just saying hello to you. Like the punk rockers greeting exactly, you. And then this exactly. handsome Irish bar yeah, owner saying yeah. hello. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked at these guys and I'm like, man, these guys are cool looking. I want to be like these guys. But they were like, you know, they were clean and sober, man. Shit. Let me ask you this. And actually, that one guy, he was in like a big band years ago. And actually, that guy is a doctor today. I thought you were going to say it's Billy Idol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that kid, he was, a, he, was, he was a famous bass player, but he, you know, he ended up doing so much drugs, he kicked him out of the band. Yeah, yeah. But today, he's like, I say he's got like 20 years. What band was he in? 
Uh, I don't really want to say, you know That's what I mean? That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was I gonna... well, he's a doctor. It's like, holy smoke, like, you know. I... He got his shit together. Yeah, he, fa- yeah, he found himself. The sky is the limit, you know? I, I totally believe that. Yeah. I want to ask you this before we're done. You are a sober bar owner. Yes. How, it's like Sam Malone from Cheers. How do those things align? Like, when did you, did you, how long were you still in the bar business? How long did it take you to get back into the bar business when you got I, sober? No, I, I was never in the bar business. I just fell, fell into owning a bar, you know? You know, uh, uh, you know, it just happened one day. It's like, you know, these guys hadn't paid the rent on the bar. You know, I knew one guy and he knew the other guy. He knew the landlord. And they're like, hey, do you guys want this bar? You know what I mean? But, um, you know, it's it's like, you know, owning a bar is like, you know, to me, it's just a business working here. You know what I mean? I don't really sit at the bar and, and, and hang out and talk to people. I think all sober bar owners are the same. You know what I mean? Like, if I go to another bar, I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm still the same, you know, if I had like five years clean sober. I can't go to a bar and sit down with a bunch of guys and they're all drinking like pints of beer. Right, right. I last, I last about half an hour, 40 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it just saved us. Because you got to go. I got to go. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if, you know, just say for my sister's long birthday party or whatever, you know, and they're having it in a bar, you know, I would show up, you know, drink my soda. But after 40 minutes, I feel uncomfortable. But, I, but uh, on the bar, you know, it's, it's different. It's, it's weird. It's just, it's a business. You know what I mean? The liquor's all in front of me, but, you know, I'm, it's just a business here. But it, it, I'm still, you know, I can't go out and hang out with guys. It's like, you know, hey, Johnny, just come... Like, people invite me to parties all the time, you know what I mean? But I don't go to parties. I know? don't either. It's, it's boring to me. It's boring, you know what you I mean? Know, but that's, that's one thing. Like, it's, and I'll tell you, the one thing for me in recovery that I find to be challenging, it's like my wife loves going to see live music. Yeah. And I like live music, but I can't handle late night waiting for oh, the band, no waiting, waiting. No. Everyone's fucked up. Everyone's getting more fucked up by the yeah. minute, and you're just sitting there. Exactly. I, I struggle with that. Oh, me, me, me too. It's like, you know, I've gone to see bands. You know what I mean? It's like, but, you know, I want to get there when the band has just started. Yeah. And it's like you impossible. I, mean? I grab that. my soda, you know what I mean? And when the band finishes, I'm, I'm out of there like a bullet. You exactly. know what I mean? I'm not hanging out, you know? Exactly, exactly. Let me ask you this, though. As a bar owner like how often do you see people afflicted at the bar like like addicts or oh, alcoholics or like does what is what is the feeling there oh it, it's like uh you know when i see people like they're um my bouncers like if, if you see them anyway drunk at all they don't let them in and like believe me i've seen in in line like people in line and you know it's the invisible bubblegum in the mouth you know what i mean the the, the, the you know high on cocaine and the jaws going from left to right you know what i mean and, you know, me being an addict, I spot it straight away. You know, sure. I see two guys and the jaws are going from left to right. And I just say to them, hey, guys, not tonight. Just go somewhere else. You know what I mean? All right. And what and can you think of any ridiculous stories with customers? Oh, it's like you too know, many. right? It, yeah. When you're dealing with, with, the, with the public, it's, it's like, you know, I was talking to a guy that owned a, uh, a movie theater the other night. He owns two movie theaters. And we just started talk. I started. We just started talking about like dealing with the public. And he started telling me stories with the movie theater. I'm like, you deal with the same shit as me. You don't know who's going to walk into the movie theater. Same as the bar. You don't know who's going to walk in, in in the door. You know what I mean? You just don't know. Unpredictability. But uh, John, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you giving a little bit of uh, the bad, the good, the ugly, the divine, the good stuff. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, man, it's good to be. Uh, it's good to be clean and sober. You know what I mean? It's like actually, 
what, what I'm going to do in the next 10 minutes. I got back into my art, my photography, and, you know, I'm just going back home today and, like, working on a piece of art, you know? What, what are you making? Actually, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of, uh, what, what I do is, like, uh, it's rip posters from New York. You know, I, I, I go around at nighttime and find old posters and uh, rip them off. So it's mixed media. I then, you know, um, my girlfriend, um, she's really beautiful looking, so I, I, have, I photograph her, and then I incorporate those photographs into the mixed media. I want to see. How do, I, how do we see it? Uh, how do you tell the audience well, to see well, it? Well, actually, um, you know, I have like two or three pieces made. I'm going to make about 20. Cool. You know, then I'm going to make my website. Then, you know, I have something to show. All right. And um, I'll be back with you with that, you know. Awesome, John. Thank you so much, man. Alrighty. Cool man. Neighbor, neighborhood Dopey. This is first neighborhood dopey. So so you're the number <laughs> L-E-S, one. Yes, yes. Lower East Side. There you go. Thank you, John. So that was Johnny Irish. What'd you think? I loved it. I listened to it yesterday. Why did you love it? Um I like And by the way, before you even yeah. tell me, I really appreciate your enthusiasm. To love it is a great thing. To me. Okay. I thought you were being sarcastic. No, no. When am I I'm never when am I am I often sarcastic? I don't know. But yeah, you know, I dug it. I listened to the whole thing and um it's, there's not like a like a crash and burn bottom, but I, the part where he's like, my coworkers were like, I'm leaving, and he's like, oh, you're moving to another restaurant. And they're like, no, I'm opening my own restaurant, and they never invited him or like had him in on that that information. Like that was kind of like, well, I feel like Johnny Irish is a very high bottom alcoholic addict, or else he just didn't want to like spill the terrible right. There might have been some like. I'm, you know, if you go and you buy cocaine in those junky spots, and I know those junky spots, you did some shit. You know, if you're like, uh, you know, I think he just didn't want to say like embarrassing stuff, or maybe he didn't know that's what you wanted. I didn't ask him for the embarrassing stuff. Yeah, but I maybe I should have put. You said I did. I mean, I don't know. I asked I, him for dopey stories. Remember. It doesn't matter. I like Johnny. I like the idea of a New York dopey episode. Yeah. You know, and. um I don't think anyone's ever spoken about the the bucket on the show before. I haven't heard it. Well, I mean, that's the old days of New York where there were you know buckets were were lowered and drugs were raised. Yeah. And I, yeah, I remember the bucket. And and I, Ray, did you ever go to a glory hole? No. Well, I bet, but that's this. They also I, do that. I put my hand with a ten dollar bill through a hole, and they give you drugs. And back. They give you drugs. Where was that? On Third Street. What did they give you? Heroin and coke. Did you say I need? You'd say, what do yeah, you say? Tell one, me what you said. One, two D, one C, two, two C. I can't remember. You know, back in the day, the when Coke was five dollars, and the dope, and dope was ten. It was the dope was ten then yeah, too. Yeah. Did you get bigger bags? I don't know. It's crazy, just crazy. Um, I remember, and this is just stupid. When I lived on Grand Street, I found, and I, I might have talked about this with Chris, or I might not have. Uh, when I moved there, I lived. You know, it's very close to Chinatown. And there was a store that sold, you know, cigarettes are, I don't know how much, I think they're $14 now. They sold bootlegs? They sold bootlegs, but they sold two different kinds of bootleg cigarettes. They sold $8 packs of cigarettes, and then they sold $2 packs of cigarettes. Whoa. You know, and like there were Marlboros, and then there were, there were like unstamped, unstamped Virginia Marlboros, yeah. and then there were unstamped Chinese Marlboros. Oh. And uh, when I would walk in the store, 
I don't know why I thought this, but I thought you had to do a secret knock on the counter. <laughs> and I'd walk in and I'd knock and I'd be like, can I get cigarettes? And they'd be like, sure. But I didn't really have to do the knock. Yeah. But And then I went in and I didn't knock and they gave me the cigarettes $2. anyway. $2. $2 for a pack. You know, that's a, it's a big... They know, tasted bad, though. It's a big crime. If you rent a van and you drive to Virginia and you buy it, like, you think that's just like, I'm buying something in another state. It's a heavy crime. What to bootlegging cigarettes? It's well, they're not the ones that aren't bootleggers. That you just drive to Virginia or South Carolina, you fill your van up, and you drive back to New York, and you sell them to bodegas. That seems like a minor crime, but it's a big crime. Well, it's like because it's underwriting the tobacco yeah, industry, yeah. undermining. What, you know what Johnny didn't convey was how terrifying those buildings were. Those abandoned buildings where you'd go in, it was terrifying they would scream at you and then sometimes they'd make you all sit on the ground when the police were coming and like you felt like you were going to be shot well new york was a much scarier place the whole city was like yeah we were younger the east village you came up from florida yeah you know and people it was like there was a huge divide between the haves and the have-nots then yeah it's like the have-nots were not getting salads and on the internet and shit when you crossed third avenue at eighth street into st mark's you entered into like another city, right? Very. It was a very dangerous time. It was. It was a much different time, and it was like very hardcore. And it really has changed. Yeah. Although I was walking to the Rainbow, I did a Rainbow show on Saturday night, and I had all my gear, all my lights. I'm weighted down, and I had like for some reason I had six hundred dollars in my pocket, and I'm get off the train, and it was a neighborhood I'd never been to, and I'm like. Oh, this not everything in Brooklyn is gentrified now. I maybe shouldn't be doing this, but it was okay. I know. I still get that feeling too. I, I went, you know, my friend Jim. Did you, you meet my friend Jim at DopeyCon? Yeah. My friend Jim has a studio up in the Bronx, and I had just gotten paid in cash. So I had a bunch of money in my pocket, and I went up there, and I think I was fine, but I had that old school sort of instinct of like, why do I have yeah. all this money? Yeah, on me? you can feel it. Like, what am I doing? Because, like, at the wrong moment, you're fucked. Yeah. You know? And then another thing in my town, my we hire this this girl to babysit um the babe the kids. Yeah. And and somebody just went into her house and, and robbed her. Wow. Just fucking stole everything. Wait, was she there? No, no. They went it's into still, her house and they stole creepy. It's terrible. Terrible. And you know, we leave our door unlocked all the time. You probably shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. Linda, <laughs> if you're home, lock she doesn't listen to Dobie, but lock the door. Yeah. I had a guy try to come in my apartment and it was he could have killed me. Yeah. You know, the other thing I liked about Johnny's thing was I just, I loved listening to his voice because I love Ireland so much. And I was saying to my friend who stayed with me, the happiest moments of my life are like the times I've spent in Ireland. And I'm just like missing it so much. So it was nice to hear that. Like the time you relapsed on MDMA last summer? I wouldn't call that a relapse. I would. Although, you know, at this rainbow show, they're like, whatever you need, whatever you need. And I'm like, we need... Pure MDMA, and they kept going, ha, 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 oh, right, yes, we'll definitely give you that. And I'm like, I'm not kidding. We need two tablets, pure MDMA. We're bringing a drug testing kit. And they're like, ha, 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 okay, great. And then Who when, are these people? I don't even know them. They were, saw me at another, performing at another party. And when I got there, they came up to me, and they had a pill box, and they had printed up an MDMA, like a prescription, and then they're like, here's your MDMA. And they like, love you. How did you get that kid? <laughs> Is that what the picture you sent me? Yeah. And then I went around the party, and I offered all these young people, I was like, would you like some MDMA? At a party, on Halloween, you know, Halloween party, and everyone was like, no, thank you. Well, they didn't want MDMA. I couldn't give it away. But you didn't even have it. What was it? 
it was um, sweet and sour, little one of those little sour sweet tarts. Ray is very funny because <laughs> if you don't know about Ray, Ray is in this band. Uh, it's really a what do you call that? A a duo. What's another duo. word? It's an electronic duo. He's in an electronic duo that does electronic music called Rainbow, or also called Rainbow. And he like does fake coke and drinks. Fake. Did you do fake coke at this thing? I fucked the coke. I pour the coke on the ground, and then I pull my pants down. And I fucked the the pile of coke in your boxers. I had my boxers on, yeah. And you fucked the coke. I fucked the coke. And then do you drink the fake vodka? Yeah, I poured the the vodka all over my head. That they went nuts when I did that. <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> and then I took the, I took the bottle of MDMA pills and I poured them in my mouth. I chewed them all up. It was delicious. Did they think? It, did, they, did they think anything was real? You're like a wrestler. You're they, like the you're like the like the Roddy Piper well, of fucking MDMA. They were, they were laughing until I jumped into them, uh, hurting my knee, and screamed, "Kill!" Oh, then I was like. Dear Lord Satan, please come into this room and kill all these people. Then they stopped laughing. I'm sure. I looked at Facebook and Ray posted a video of himself wearing a fucking day glow construction worker vest, aviator glasses, screaming kill at the top of his lungs. He looks like a deranged Jim Morrison shouting, right? It was fun. Yeah. Did you feel transfixed or any kind of allure from the devil when you were doing that? No. All right. I don't good. feel that. Have you ever have you ever sensed the devil? When, when you're doing this stuff? No. All right, good. That's good. That's a good, that's a good sign. Now, we have, a, we have an apology to make because um, during the Cat Marnell uh, episode, you know, I wanted just to do a normal episode of Dopey, and normal episodes of Dopey have emails. So I gave Cat Marnell this email to read. It's from this guy, and Cat um, Marnell read his whole name, which is a no-no. So we're not going to read any of his name. And, and she kind of just didn't really read the email. So would you like to read it or do you want me to read it? Um, you read it. All right. Um, so I want to apologize to this guy for the, you know, the shame, you know, the, the fucking shoddy read. And that we care about you, Adobe. We care about addicts. We care about a good read. So please keep sending in the email. So I'm going to read this email, okay? Hey. Love DopeyCon, especially Ray Brown. I can't believe he washes his clothes in the shower. What a fucking idiot. I'm just kidding. It That's not the it email. Doesn't, it doesn't say anything. <laughs> hey, love DopeyCon. Learned about what? What? You said my full name. I, you don't care. <laughs> it's a fake name anyway. Um, hey, love DopeyCon. Learned about too late. Would have been amazing to be a part of it. I caught up on show finale. You are doing great. Smart thing you finally started a Patreon page. Hope the cash can set you and your family with an easier life. Me too. By the way, I think you need to put out a flyer to the Dopey Nation about the Lost Tapes. I'm sure someone has them downloaded. All right. If anybody has the Lost Tapes downloaded, let me know. I have the Lost Tapes. Do you? Yes. No, you don't. No, I don't. That was amazing. I thought for a second you might. I am an IV heroin user. I try to stay away from the benzodiazepines because I always get in some shit. Plus, it's the worst detox I ever had. I am on a methadone maintenance, and I work as an HVAC tech. And I just started a new job, and I had to miss my program that day. Plus, I was broke, so I had nothing to keep me right. I ended up loaning some cash from my new boss on the first day. I am very good at my job, so that helped. I got home really late after 10 p.m. feeling like crap. My regular connect was done, so I had to get from my backup. 
and I knew that the dope was weak, and I really wanted to get fucked up, so I bought two sticks in a bundle. I took the bars on an empty stomach, plus I stopped doing benzos about a year ago. Next thing I know, I am being woken up by my mother, telling me it's time to go to work. I saw right away he was pissed with me, but I didn't know why or had time to find out. I got dressed, ran out to my car, drove to my program, got my methadone, walking to the car, I had my hands in my pockets to keep warm, and I felt a few loose bags of dope. It was a great surprise. I got... um, I can't understand what he's saying here. I got in the did the deed. I got in, did the deed. Mind you, I was still barely keeping my eyes open from the shit I took last night. Next thing I know, someone is banging on my window. I open my eyes and it's my counselor from the program. My leg, my rig is on my lap with empty baggings next to me. And I huge, a burn hole, a huge, I burned a huge hole in my hoodie. My counselor is a cool guy and I didn't get into trouble, but it was noon and I had over 20 missed calls from my new boss with a text that I can stay home from now on. I drove home and of course I forgot that my mom was mad with me as soon as I came in. She told me she will never see me like that again and I will be kicked out. Me not understanding what she was talking about, she handed me her phone that is playing a recording, and it's me in the kitchen with a plate in my hand putting food from the frying pan, and the plate slips from my hand and breaks on the floor. I got a new plate and started repeating the process, and the second plate slipped too. I freeze for a moment and then grab the whole frying pan and leave it in my room. Mind you, the whole time I am nodding out and twisting side to side, front to back. It really was the funniest and most shameful thing I've ever seen me do. I guess the mother showed her video. Crazy. Toodles for Chris. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Oh, man. That thing with the, the mother. Like I have a little bit of interaction with my parents regarding drugs, and it's like, it's the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a lot, right? Or no, you had moved out. Oh, yeah, man. I, I never came back. Yeah. Because I like doing drugs so much. <laughs> like like I, when I was like fucking when I went to college and I decided I loved weed, I like never wanted to come home again. You oh, know? Okay. And I think I told that story at DopeyCon about when me and Todd tripped acid and my mom like came out and got so angry at us oh, and yeah. screamed at me and, and Todd when we were tripping. And um but I was I think I was at a lot of fucking dinners high on heroin and a lot of a lot of holidays and I was just a total dick, you know? Um, but I would not be, and I guess I'd probably nodded out in front of my parents a lot. Oh, I don't know. Probably. How could I, I, I not? Had, I had, um, uh, in high school, I got in the car in a blackout and I drove across town. I climbed in the window of a boy that I liked who was a friend of mine and passed out in his bedroom and his parents called my parents and they came over and took me home. That was like mortifying. That must have been bad. Now, this guy is from some Eastern European country, and I had t- the guy who wrote the email, mm-hmm. I think. And, uh, and I had told Sam, my friend who helps produce the show, about the situation and how the guy was really upset. He wrote me another email after Kat Marnell read his thing, and he was so upset that she said his full name and that she fucking mangled the email. And now like, I'm so fucking egocentric that I don't care about the fucking addicts and the listeners. Did you erase it? What? When Kat Marnell said it? No, I left it in there. Oh. I, didn't, I didn't even realize it. Cause that's the thing. First of all, I just want to say again, if you send in an email, tell me what you want me to call you. Say it. Tell me. 
But if it was me, I never would have said his last name. I just wouldn't, but right. she did, and I just forgot about it. Now, Sam thinks some you of You just the, said my last name. Nobody heard. Sam thinks something in this whole thing is funny, and I said your last name a bunch of times on Dopey. Um, so he wrote this song, and he sent me this song. Do you want to hear it? Yes. It, it's somewhat retarded, but I thought... I was in this huge fight with Linda yesterday, and, um, and I clicked on the song, and I, I laughed out loud, which is very rare. So hold on. This is my apology song. To Vladimir Putin Jr. I just don't know what I was thinking. It's just that Cat Marnell is so hot. Cat Marnell is so hot. I guess this one really got away from me. Especially when she said your whole name. Especially when she yada yada your whole email. I don't know what I was thinking. It's just that Cat Marnell is so hot and crazy. Cat Marnell is so hot and crazy. You like it. <laughs> yes, that was hilarious. There you go. So that's Sam's uh, apology song to Vladimir Putin Jr. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam is very taken with Kat Marnell. Um, I love that. Um, and then I have more stuff. Uh, I want you to read something, or I'm going to read something. Oh, this is not funny. This is very serious. Do you want to read the very serious thing? Okay. Ooh, no, I'm going to read this one. Okay. This one is another really long one. But she says something that's very important to me. Um, she says, hi, Dave. First and foremost, I want to thank you. It was your voice and words that inspired me. If a junkie as sick as you were could get behind a microphone and broadcast that you loved your life and that you were happy, well, then I could have that too. Then to see you push through the pain of losing Todd and Chris and stay sober and continue the show inspired me even more. My story is a little different. I grew up just like those kids on Euphoria in a small New Hampshire city. I will never forget the man who taught me... Um, who taught my family how to score dope in Lawrence. I watched them die. I watched most of them die. Wow. Taught my friends, not my family, how to score dope in Lawrence. I watched most of them die. While never indulging myself, the first thing I wanted to be was an addiction counselor. I got emancipated just shy of my 16th birthday and ran away to the last Grateful Dead tour in 1995. Heroin was rampant in that community, too. I moved to Washington, D.C. in 86 and fell in love for the first time, naturally with a man addicted to heroin. I really learned the ugliness of addiction in my first two years with him and never indulged. He fell out in the bathroom, needle still in his arm, and I ran back to New Hampshire. Back in the Shire now to find my middle brother hopelessly addicted to heroin, too. I can't, scheme, I can't seem to escape the plague. Fast forward seven years, married with two beautiful children. I, relie- I received a phone call one morning from my hysterical mother telling me my brother is dead. Not my middle brother, my youngest. He took a whole methadone wafer, and with no tolerance, he died at 22. He left behind a five-month-old baby girl. The next year is a total blur. My middle brother spiraled but made it out alive. Ten years of Suboxone maintenance saved him. Maintenance saved him. At 30, I got separated and started dating a man that seemed to just drink a few beers every night. After some health issues and doctor's love of writing prescriptions, we were both on the way to being fucked. I know what it looks like. I was starting to learn about what it felt like. His argument to me with my constant panic and fear of addiction was that it's not like it's heroin. Five years out of that argument, my best girlfriend started shooting dope. After a year of that, she ended up stroking out and needing a heart valve replacement. 
This is where I learned sobriety and recovery are different animals. You have to identify and heal those wounds. She didn't. And even though I moved in with her because she was telling us all about how she was Googling the most painless way to die, I couldn't heal that for her. Six weeks after I moved in, she overdosed and died. I was completely clean those six weeks from pills. There my spiral started. I went to the dark side. It's what I, the pill addict, called heroin, along with my now second husband. Two years of running. No one knew I was using. I was a high-functioning junkie. Unlike my husband, who I spent most of my time making sure he was still breathing, he went hard. I just maintained, mostly. I would occasionally pull a Whitney Houston in the bathtub, actually catching a nod, soaking in the tub, chain-smoking, and reading apocalyptic novels. I entirely blamed my addiction on husband number two. It took me leaving him for the second time and living in my own place to realize I was fucked. Luckily, I am a great bartender and never had to steal. I always had cash and would get deliveries at work. Then I got a case of strep so bad that my throat had to be lanced. A week of not making cash. Well, there went my rent money. I scored a few subs, but it was still hell. I gave all of my possessions away, packed just a backpack, and ran away to California to join my allegedly clean husband. It was only three weeks before we started chipping, chasing the dragon, realizing that everything back home is all fentanyl, I can't do needles, and Googled ways to use that black tar without smoking it. Well, mix that shit with water and keister it. What a buzz. We returned to New Hampshire in September of eight, in September of 18. So sick. I wanted out. I entered a Suboxone program, started listening to Dopey, read every recovery book I could. My husband couldn't handle my new addiction to recovery or to Dopey. I moved back into the same apartment I left almost a year after. Tomorrow I celebrate one year off of heroin. I have done so much self-work. I am tapering. Fuck. I've done so much self-work. I'm tapering off the Suboxone, four milligrams every three days. When I start to feel sick, here's the thing. The Suboxone Sigma, I could never, I could never have made it without it. Uh, the girl who lost so much from others on heroin catches a dope habit at 38. I hate hearing I'm not clean. Why can't I work the steps? Why am I ostracized when I'm working so fucking hard? 12-step communities need to adjust the fundamentals. If it wasn't for Dopey and the Nation, I would have had little support outside of my program. Saturday mornings are like going to church, Dave and his apostles, and the alt-recovery movement you have started. You hear that? The alt-recovery movement you have started. I like that. Um, From the bottom of my heart, thank you. Lots of love and gratitude. Jay. And P.S., the most disgusting thing I ever heard is that Ray Brown washes his clothes (laughs) in the shower. I can't believe anybody thinks that's normal. You want to see him say No, he doesn't really say that. That was a great read. Thank you, Jay. You know that that moment in when you're in a meeting, your first meeting, and you're go, the you're reading the book and it's coming. I to said you. your last name again. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, it's not my real last name. Okay. Um, and that it's coming to you, and you're going to have to read, and you're panicking. I thought of that when you asked me to read just now, and that you're at you're just starting you're in your first meeting, and then it comes to you, and then you read it, and you're okay, and you can do that, and you're, you don't think you can do it, and then they ask you to read the. The preamble at the beginning, you're like, I can't do that, and then you do it, and you're like, I can read I the can, preamble. I can read in public, yes. So, what do you think about that? Uh, it, it was very sad. But what about it, the the triumph at the end? Yeah, it's very great. And what about Dopey 
as an alt recovery movement. Alt recovery. Well, there's some talk of that on if you read on the Dopey Twitter, Dopey Nation of can you. It, you know, variations like can you smoke weed or can you, I don't know, if you're on... Can you take an MDMA sub, while having yeah, an affair in If you're Ireland. on subs, are you clean? You know, if you're on methadone, are you clean? You know what my thinking is? Um, my thinking is everybody should do whatever the hell they want. Um, seriously. I don't do anything yeah. because I don't want to lose everything I have. Right. I know, like, I, you know, I was a heroin addict and I smoked weed and then I started taking pills and then I lost everything I had. And... Um, you know, I definitely would never say that I'm going to be clean and sober for the rest of my life, but I do know that I'm not fucking up what I have now. Right. My life is way Your too much. Your life is together. Well, it's just so much better than yeah. it's ever been. And like, and yeah, I love getting high. Like, I, I love getting high. You know, I do. I mean, that's probably why I do a podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb <laughs> shit. But I get high from the show now. I get high from having fun. And it sounds so lame, but it's just the truth. Well, I was saying to my friend recently that I was like, one thing, I forgot what this was in reference to, but I, oh, it was like when somebody asks you to sing a song at a party and you're like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, like you're imposing, like, no, they want you to sing. And I said, there's a thing in AA of like, how can I help the party? How can, can I bring ice? Can I, how can I help everybody have a good time? And that's like giving back to the party or, you know. Just being, to think of somebody else before you. you Yeah. To try to be as helpful as you can. Yeah, I mean, I I find that like. That's how I try to look at life. I try to look at life. Like, how can I be helpful? Yeah, and you barely do anything. I don't do anything. Yeah, so that's great. (laughs) Um, You know, yesterday for the first time in months, I met my sponsor. Really? And we started going over like some problems I have. And he, he's like this, like. I think he's pretty right wing guy, to be honest. But I've never asked him. But I yeah. noticed he had a make a great make America great again yeah. hat in his pickup in his red pickup truck, um, and he has the words "real deal" tattooed on his knuckles. Yeah, and then he has a burning cross tattooed on his neck. I'm just kidding. He has something else tattooed on his neck, um, and uh, but he's like. He's got really, really amazing recovery, and he's a really smart guy and really sweet. And we're going through some of my problems, and like if I ever have a problem, he works it through all twelve steps. That's how he deals with it. Oh, it's very cool. Maybe we should work Bob through all twelve yeah. steps for you. <laughs> Step one, exactly. <laughs> my, but my, my spot. I should I should talk to my sponsor recent more more. I don't talk to him that much. You don't talk to him anymore. Well, not about this. You should. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Um, okay, you want to hear an exciting story? Yes. So last night, before we went trick-or-treating, um, I'm kind of totally addicted to my phone, and I'm kind of constantly checking it, which yeah. is just depressing. But I check my email, and I got an email from Artie Lang's manager. Really? Asking me if I want today to go to Hoboken to interview Artie. You know what yes. I said? Yes. I said, no, Ray's coming over. We have to do the show. How about another time? No, I said, yes, I'll go. I said, of course I'll go. And he said, um, great, let me check. And it turns out Artie couldn't do it. So I don't know why he had invited me in the first place, but I'm on the map. Yeah. Monday, Artie is going to go back to... Um, Anthony Cumia's podcast where I used to to stalk him yeah. on, or see him on a regular basis. So guess where I'm going to be on Monday? Anthony, Anthony Cumia's podcast? That's right. 
You're going to be outside waiting, or you're going to be on the podcast. I'm going to start outside, and I'm going <laughs> to. No, he has like a little audience. So oh, I'm, really? And I'm going to go over there. I'm going to bring him some pastrami sandwiches and just fuck it. That was my idea for you, an what? audience for your for your podcast. What? A live audience. Well, no, he has like 12 chairs set up and nobody's oh, in them. I see. But I think your idea is to actually do it like DopeyCon on a regular basis. Yeah, that was back Blind Boy in Dublin. He has a, a thousand people in the audience. Well, I think that is the next thing. And he's terrible. But what do you think about my plan to go for Artie? That's great. What do you think about Artie's manager uh, emailing well, me? Well, actually, no. When you were talking about Artie before, I was like, lay off of Artie. I don't know how good that is for either one of you. What, do you think we're two north, uh, two north magnets? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which will repel? Well, when you were going to bust Artie out of rehab and bring him to DopeyCon or something. It's the greatest And then idea. take him back. I'm like, Artie's going to die, and you're gonna, you killed him just to get him on your podcast. Listen, the weirdest thing was Artie left rehab the week of DopeyCon. Yeah, I know. Do you think that's, that's God working for or against us? Uh, or neither. It's just I a weird know. coincidence. That was a weird coincidence. All right. Um, so you're saying leave Artie alone. Don't go to Anthony Cumia's podcast. Artie seems to be like an addiction for you. I think it's more of an obsession. An obsession. Listen, and there's it, a thing of like, like I can't, remember, I can't remember the first part, but the, the all pepper diet, the straight pepper diet, and some some have the the no flavor milk and bread. I think you're you're on a straight pepper diet with Artie. How do you figure? It's like too much excitement. Too much excitement. What do you mean? I go to a meeting where they talk about you shouldn't have ups and downs. I don't go. I went to a meeting where they talked a lot about you should not have. I'm so excited. I'm I'm crashing. I'm so excited. What we're talking about is expectations. You're talking about having not have over overly. Yes. Listen, and you have super high expectations for Artie Lang. If you know anything about me. Which you might or you might not. I created this out of nothing. Right. With Chris. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're, we're huge podcasts. Yeah. Biggest podcast you've ever been on. Yeah. Is there a bigger podcast the only, you go on? Only podcast. Do you ever go on Anthony Cumia's podcast? No, on the I've side? never heard of him. It is because of my obsession. Anthony was on Opie and Anthony. Okay. You remember that show? Yeah. That's, That's Anthony yeah. Cumia? Okay. Yeah. Um, listen, it is my excitement which fuels the engine, which is dopey. Okay. Go for it. So you're saying that stalk, the already stalk him, stalk away, stalk away. It's not. Is it stalking? It's like pursuit, lurking, lurking. That sounds very <laughs> negative. You know, Artie's going on. Just went on Gilbert's podcast, um, and he's going on uh, Joe Rogan yeah. and Anthony Cumia. And and what the fuck? Are, what the fuck are we? Yeah. What are we? You're just like those. I think we're better. You're better. I think we're better. Is that crazy? Dopey Nation. All right. Here's a couple things. We're going to end the show in a second. Thank God. But here's a couple things. Number one, I never ask people to subscribe to Dopey. I just say... How do you subscribe? If you know how to subscribe... I don't know. So if you know how to subscribe to Dopey, just subscribe to Dopey. Why do you subscribe? I don't know. I just press D on my computer, and it goes Dopey Podcast, and there it is. I think people should start subscribing to Dopey. That's my point. I think you should leave reviews. If not for me... And if not for Chris... Oh, I'm going to leave a review. Then, Wait, you have to do it on iTunes. Yeah. Then do it for my dad, because my dad lives for the reviews. My dad is like so upset that there's only been two reviews since West Virginia. So leave a review, and... Um, Ray, you got anything else to add? No. Nothing? Leave a review. 
Do you think you don't care? Where, about- where, how do you see reviews? It's on iTunes. Okay. You don't care about reviews or Artie. I don't think I have iTunes. And you think I'm being too obsessive about Artie. I don't know. I don't care. Oh, there's one other thing. I'm going to leave you guys with this. There's a guy in the Dopey Nation named uh, Dave Masculani. And he talked like this. Hello, this is Dave Masculani. And he did some weird recording of a fake interview. And there's another dude named Graham who said, if you send that into Dopey, I'm going to pledge a hundred bucks to the Patreon page. And Graham gave a hundred bucks to the Patreon page and Dave Masculani sent this thing in. Now, Dave, I love Dave Masculani. He's, he's very funny on the dopey nation, but his recording is, is almost unlistenable. That's the, that's the thing we listen to. Yeah. I couldn't understand it. So I'm going to save it for now. Graham, thank you for being so generous. That's crazy. And David, you gotta send. You, you stand in such high quality stuff. This is very hard to listen to. But since Graham sent a hundred bucks, I kind of have to play it. So we say, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Do you want to say anything? Stay strong. And here's uh, Dave Mascolani. Dave Mascolani. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dave, and this is Dopey. On today's episode, we have Dave Mascolani from Australia. So, David. You're a compulsive gambler from Australia. Do you have any dopey gambling stories for us? Sorry, Dave. My mind's gone blank. I can't think of anything to say except that Graham Russell from Dopey Facebook owes $100 to Dopey Patreon, unless he's a no-good low-down-lying cunt, which hopefully isn't. He seems okay. And Ben Crawford... I either $5 or $500, I'm not sure, but every little bit helps, I guess, and Scott W owes $5. I wish I could send $100. I may not be gambling anymore, but I'm not working, so I'm financially embarrassed at the moment. Hey, how about them 12th century Japanese samurai warrior motherfuckers? So full of honour, discipline and valour. Did you see that movie, Ghost Dog? The Way of the Samurai, directed by Jim Jaramush and starring Forrest Whitaker. I liked it. I might give it another look. Forrest Whitaker was pretty good in that Charlie Parker movie too and and in The Shield. He's a good actor. What the fuck are you going on about, you dumb Aussie cunt? This is the fucking worst episode ever. Get the fuck out of my apartment. No worries. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my 
shadows get smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadows getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road, however far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good so bad Wanna be good so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had